So, yes, we're in uh, season three has started, and uh, I'm happy to have our, have our first guest for season three on. No Rex today. Unfortunately, Sounds he pulled out, pulled out the last moment, unfortunately. But, uh, Will Glenwright, great to have you here. Thank you, Captain. And I'm humbled. Uh, yeah, and I mean, uh, I think it's a, it's a, we're going to hear a great story on, you, on, on your life and where you've come around sport, which mm-hmm. is obviously where it is, and also which typified very much important now because we've got the uh, tournament coming on later on this year. Yeah, the Men's T20 World Cup. Yeah, it's very exciting. We've had a lot of questions out, but we'll keep that one to later. Firstly, let's just find out a little bit more about Will. Yeah. Where, okay. did, where did it all start, Will? The sport journey or the life? Well, let's I mean, obviously you're Australian. I can pick that up yeah, from the accent. Right. So uh, so you, you went to school in Australia? Yeah, life. So born and bred Sydney. Yes. Uh, Sydney Northern Beaches, mm-hmm. North Shore. Um and a very typical Australian uh, childhood, I guess. Went to school, primary school and high school in, in Sydney. Then uh, university in Canberra. Right. Which was a deliberate choice. I wanted yeah. to, I did want to leave home for uh-huh. um, for uni, not to get out of home, but just to um, just try something new. Wasn't brave enough to move overseas. Right. So I went to Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> which is... I think we had... Uh, James Borderstone on. He went to Canberra. He too, did didn't indeed. He? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so well, they're at the same different time? university. Okay, different, okay. different eras. Yeah, I'm right. slightly older. Okay, I'm okay, older okay. vintage. Right, right. Um, went to Canberra. Went down to study graphic design. Okay, funnily enough, I did art. Um, art was the subject I sort of majored in yeah. at school. It's what I was passionate about. Yeah. Remained fairly passionate about it to this day. But um, went down to uh, study graphic design there in Canberra. Um, but there was a problem. Right, and the problem was I couldn't draw. <laughs> So yeah. I lasted one year at graphic design in in Canberra, and then was politely told at my end of year review, we have to we have to uh, submit your portfolio, yeah, yeah. that um, you just ain't good enough, and you might okay. want to find another degree. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's good to learn early that uh, it wasn't going to be. The yeah, that's way. true. I was yeah. heartbroken though because yeah. I was really I really enjoyed it, um, and I, and I loved the degree, and I was really enjoying Canberra. Yeah. Um, but this was the time, it was around about this time, so this was 92, yep. that uh, Sydney got awarded the Sydney Olympics. Right. So there was a big growing sort of enthusiasm around sport, a real positivity. Let's just go around. back to that. Was that unexpected? So it came down to Sydney and Beijing okay. in the final vote. Right. And, yes, I think everyone expected Beijing would win it. So it was, it yeah. was unexpected. Yeah. Um, and actually, that was a that was a good night out in in town because oh, back sure. then that was when uh, yeah. it, it, it's changed now with the announcement. But back then it was a big pomp and ceremony right. where it was announced by the IOC in Lausanne and it's telecast back into yeah. Australia. And I was yeah. down with some friends at Circular Quay, yeah. um, where it was down at the Opera House and it was on a big screen. It was about three two o'clock three o'clock in the morning our, our time when it was announced, but it was heaving. Yeah right, and yeah, I mean all that you, you see all the all the footage when when the rights were awarded and Sydney was announced as the winner and the and the town went berserk. It was a it was a fun night and and that really was a big change in the you know in the landscape in the, in right. Australia. So um, so it was around about that time I, I was walking back to my residence in in Canberra and I was as I said I was a bit heartbroken that I'd been kicked out yeah. of my 
what I thought at the time was going to be was my yeah. passion for life. Right. And I, I ran into a mate who had just been kicked out of his nutrition degree. Um, yeah. And I said, what are you, you going to do? And he goes, well, so the Uni of Canberra, which is where I studied, they had a partnership with the Australian Institute of Sport, which is a government uh, government, government institute that was um, focused on elite athletes and the pr- production yep. of athletes yep. for, for Olympic Games. And they had a partnership with the Uni of Canberra that was set up to provide an opportunity for the, the athletes that were on scholarship to start their um, their education sure. journey. So they set up a school of uh, school of sports. So there yeah. was sports coaching, sports administration, physical education, and, and sports science were degrees. That and they were set all, up. and they were all new, or they'd always yeah, been. Yeah, no, there. they were fairly. They okay, were, well, right. they were new. I, yeah, I, sure. Um, I'm not sure how old, but yeah, relatively right. new. Not right. set up because of the Sydney Olympics, but set up. Sure. Because of the partnership with the with the AIS, which opened yeah. around eighty eight. Yeah. Um. So. He said, "I've I've heard this sports administration degree is a real lark. That it's yeah. no contact hours. Yeah. Walk in the park. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Get a. It's. Yeah. A, I think it was a science degree or a, or an right. arts degree. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to do that. Mm. I said, "Well, that sounds that sounds perfect. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. That's right down my yeah. right down my alley. Exactly." Uh, so anyway, I did that. Um, so I did a, a sports admin degree. Um, spent the next three, four years um, in Canberra and, and, and enjoyed is, it. It actually is perfect because three, four years, a couple of years before the Sydney Olympics, and then you've got That's right. to prepare. For so it. then my first job then was at the was at the AIS. I got a, a job as an administrative officer for a. It was an Olympic scholarship program. So yeah. as part of the bid for the Sydney Olympics, the Australian government, the Australian Olympic Committee and the IOC yeah. set up this program that would um, help prepare athletes from the Pacific Islands and Africa yeah. and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to prepare for the for the Olympics. Um, so I worked as the administrative officer for that program. Okay. So that was a program that effectively brought um, athletes from prospective Olympic athletes from the Pacific Islands and, and Africa and, and um, as I said, Aboriginal and Torres Strait mm-hmm. Islanders to, uh, to the AIS campus mm-hmm. in Canberra and they would, do, they would immerse themselves into the, um, the, the sports program sure, of, the, sure, sure. of the AIS. Yeah. So it was a great job. Absolutely. Uh, it was a really and you would have to go up to the islands a lot yourself? Yeah, it was a bit of travel up there. Yeah, yeah that was, that's when I first started. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's when I first started travelling well, for work, I guess it was my sure. first first job, but my first foray to the Pacific Islands. I hadn't done a lot of travel growing up as a kid. We'd done a couple of yeah. family holidays, but I I never did the after school, um, you know, gap gap year. Absolutely. Or what do you call it, in New Zealand? The uh, OE. Yes, the OE. The OE. Yeah. So I never I never did that. So this was my first <laughs> set of, the first time. Not I, a bad I place to have an OE. So it was awesome. So so the, the people would come in, and obviously, when you think of two thousand Olympics. I personally, Kathy Freeman's mm-hmm. big part of that. Was there any other individuals that were immersed into it that then went on to the games? That yeah. So we had a, so we had a few, and part of the, yeah. there was a selection criteria that. Yeah. Um, so the athlete, because the the other hurdle I guess we had to overcome was convincing Australian coaches or, or Australian employed coaches mm. who were focused on preparing Australian athletes for the Olympic Games right. to allow competitors yeah, sure, in. Sure. Um, and effectively train with you know train with the Australian yeah, exactly. athletes because I mean there's all sorts of pressure on coaches oh, of course of, of course so um, we had to ensure that the athletes were of a, a suitable quality so most of them that came in were were well I mean they were all outstanding yeah. athletes 
many of them were world class and a lot of them went on to compete at the at the Olympic Games, which yeah. was great. So it was awesome. Was there any in particular that you can think of that actually you can pretty much say the reason they went there was how they how they got that? Not so well, uh, maybe not so much from a performance perspective, yeah. but what was I think, and, and this is one of the great legacies of the Olympic movement. I'm a, I mean, I'm, it's funny that I've landed in sport, even though yeah. I originally thought I wanted to be a, a graphic designer. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm a big believer in, in the power of sport mm. to, to change lives, yeah, Absolutely. to unite communities. Yeah. It's good for our youth. Of course. It's good for countries. Yeah. And it's just, um, it's one of, if not the most powerful tool for sort of social mobility and community cohesion that I think is out there other than arguably religion as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had some athletes that came on and did very well at the Olympic Games, didn't necessarily uh, win any medals yeah, sure. as such. But um, Changed the, their lives. Yeah, one of the great things about the, the, the program is um, about the Olympic movement mm. is the money they invest back into the, into the sport. Sure. And into the athletes, and this scholarship program is one of them. So we had a we had a swimmer from um, from Peru, right? Who came out, a lovely lovely girl. Um, this was actually in the lead up to the Athens Olympic Games, okay. so two thousand four. So the yep. program continued after after yep. Sydney um, qualified for the Olympic Games, which in itself, in a sport like swimming, is a is yep. a remarkable achievement. Of course, um, but then on account of the performance at the games, yep. got a scholarship. At, um, at a university in the US, yeah. got access to an education that she wouldn't otherwise have, have got access to and is now a brain a brain surgeon. Wow. So just that's a, uh, from that, very humble beginnings absolutely. through sport, yeah. has accessed an education and started a career path that's, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. So you talk of world class. Yeah, no, exactly. Give them an opportunity and they take it with both yeah. hands. Yeah. So, so the Olympics ar- arrived... Mm-hmm. What were you What were you doing during the actual games when they so were then on? I got so then um, I got seconded then to the the organising committee for the Olympic Games because yeah. I had spent the last few years working in particular with athletes from Africa and the Pacific Islands. Yeah, I got seconded to SOCOG for the year in the lead up to right. the games, and it was um, the role was called um, NAC Services, National yeah. Olympic Committee Services, yeah. and how it works within um, an Olympic Games organising committee is. Um, you have uh, as a, as a in the NOC services team, you're given a sort of portfolio of, mm. of countries. So I had ten countries that I was responsible for. Okay, and you're effectively their point man or point woman. Oh, right. Between the National Olympic Committee, yeah. and the organising committee, sure. And you help them. You're their you're their person on the ground to help facilitate their oh, right. Olympic campaign. I got a feeling this could be a podcast in itself. <laughs> oh, there's some, <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some stories. Yeah. Uh, so sure. so I mean. Name some of the countries that you had. So I was working with Mali, Cameroon, um, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, right. Nigeria, uh, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, uh, Congo, and there's two more. Did I say Mali? Yeah, Mali, yeah. Mali. yeah. But uh, all, all Africa. So all Africa and all and most of them Francophone Africa as well. Okay, so right. I had to I had to brush pick up, up on, my, the old uh, on my school yeah. uh, franglais, yeah, and, uh, and and pick up the language. And it was a fantastic job. I thoroughly enjoyed. Did you enjoyed did you lose any? Um, okay, so this is there's there's two chapters to this book. I'm going to choose I'm going to choose one. Um, so yes, uh, 
about three months after the game, I got a phone call from Department of Foreign Affairs and, right. and Trade and said, um, we have lost some boxes <laughs> that were in the teams that you were responsible yeah. for at the Sydney Games. They didn't hop on the, on the plane right. to go back home. Were you involved in in there? So in effect, I had to. Um, yeah. I had to. The, the the inquiry, the 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 accusation is too strong a word. Was that someone had helped them? Oh yeah. Um, um, disappear. Disappear. Yeah. And I was an obvious candidate as someone who'd worked so closely sure. with them. So I wouldn't say I, I lost them, but not all of the team members that arrived went home. Right. Yeah, and did they ever appear? No, no. To my knowledge. Well, really? I'm sure they. Sorry, do I ever know where they? Where no, they, no, where no. They yeah, have... no. But they, but they started a new life in Australia. Yeah, they would have. Yeah, I've got. I never. I never actually. It's a good point. I mean, I never found out. I never followed it up and found yeah, out right. who they. Interesting. You know, they were Interesting. And, and where they were, but so, yeah. So Olympics went through, and then obviously, like all events, it finishes. Mm -hmm. What do you do? So then I went back to back to Canberra okay. um, and moved to a new job with still within the Australian Institute of Sport um, and was responsible for then after the international relations department. So the Australian the Australian government um, invests heavily in what they call sports diplomacy, using yeah. sport to mm. um, further Australia's diplomatic agenda. Yeah, sure. So that was a unit that was set up at the Australian Sports Commission, and so we ran. Um, sport development programs in Africa, the Caribbean, Asia and, okay. and the Pacific Islands. And I, right. and I looked, after, looked after that program. Wow. Um, and then I guess as a result of that work and, and the work that I'd done with the Sydney Olympic Games, I was approached by the IAC and the United Nations to do some work in East Timor. Okay. So in 2000, 2000, 2002 now. And when did they... When did they split? From so independence was two thousand and two. Yeah. Okay. So, so same. I think, so yeah, it was. In, it was a very yeah, right, right yeah. in the middle of it. Yeah, it was. Australian Army was still there. Peacekeeping. They were the peacekeeping. Yeah. Before, I mean, the so they transitioned from a um, from a peacekeeping mission to a transitional administration. Yep, so sure. the peacekeeping mission had finished. Yeah. Um, I wasn't there then, and mm. then effectively, um, the the Australian military handed over to. Uh, an organisation called UNTAIET, United Nations Transitional Administration. Okay, which was, which was an so it was other a UN country. body. It was okay. a UN body. Okay, okay. Yeah, but which could have been any country. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of countries there, but obviously yeah. the, the countries with the big presence, presence were Australia and, and Portugal, who were the of former, course. former colonial yeah, powers. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Before sure, sure. Indonesia. Yeah, right. Um, sure. And so that job was, um, was, was effectively... Um, rebuilding the sports infrastructure within the within the country. So Cheap. Where yeah. do you start? Where do you start? Yeah. So um, that was a great job, but the country. I've, I mean, I. I mean, it was a very, it was a humbling mm. job. It went. It was about twelve months, nine nine to twelve months, and um, there were sort of five pillars of the transitional, the reconstruction effort. There yeah. was. Um, Society, religion, mm. um, education, and sport was one of sport was one of those pillars. So yeah. the UN and IOC, who sort of sponsored the project, were looking for someone to go in and, and yeah. help set up the sports infrastructure, which was sure. re um, um, rehabilitating all the facilities that had been. Because I mean, the 
I mean, the story's famous. The country was was burnt to the ground yeah, right. um, immediately after um, after that transition. Yeah, and so all the sports facilities were were damaged. So we had to get them up and up and running as well. But then also build the the sports infrastructure mm. in terms of the administration because obviously um, the the UN and um, the IOC were very keen yeah. for UN to com- uh, for East Timor to compete at the at the next Olympic Games. Which 2004. So, yeah. Um, Athens. Athens. Yeah, that's right. Athens 2004. Yeah. Um, so that was that was that job. Yeah, so right. I lived in East Timor for about a year, um, which was fascinating. Five star resorts people. everywhere. No, no such thing. No, um, but some so. amazing camping. Yeah, some right. Beautiful right, camping right. Um, and great fishing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was an amazing. I would. Was an amazing you, I mean, football. Football, the biggest sport. Yeah. And have a guess what the other one might be. Two sort of, at the time, two well, big sports. potentially basketball. Were Actually, they... basketball was big, but it's not. Because it's, yeah. I was thinking of the Philippines not too far away. Ah, oh, that's right. That's good deductive yeah. reasoning. And uh, football. No, drawing a blank. I'll, I'll put you in a misery. Motocross was huge. Well, there you go. There you yeah, go. The Trivia, write that one down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as in as in car motocross? No, bike. Motorbike. Oh, motorbike. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Right, right, so, right. you know, over the mounds of yeah, dirt sure, and, sure, sure, and all sure. that. So I've wow. never had to previously, and I'm sure I never will in the rest of my life ever had to build a motocross track. Right. But we yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, it was right. fun because I was so passionate. And yeah. I mean, the sense of um, the sense of optimism in the country was yeah, right. amazing. I mean, for, for a... For a population that had been through such so much, trauma, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing how um, how optimistic they were about. Yeah. I mean, it was a re- it was a really pleasant experience. I mean, you sure. were surrounded by destruction yeah. um, every everywhere you, you you looked, but the um, the atmosphere within the country was yeah, right. one of but as real you positivity. Say, sport can take you away from the troubles. Short period of time of just sort of that kind of. Yeah, thing that's a good point, and I think that's why um, you know it's a good it's a good industry to, to yeah. work in because you. I mean, the one thing about sport is everyone you do work with are passionate about it, yeah, sure, regardless sure. of whether it's motocross or football yeah, or absolutely. rugby or absolutely. or cricket. The people you work with are, yeah. are passionate. So, um, so ten months, twelve months, bit of fishing, set yeah. up a few tracks. Yeah. And got the call back. You're going back to Canberra. Yeah, back to Cam, back to Canberra, um, uh, which was great. And then um, worked at the Athens Olympic Games. So okay. a similar job what I did in. Uh, in now Sydney. Um, I remember hearing the story, and probably completely blown out of proportion, that Sydney was so well organised, and Athens wasn't. Is that true? Yeah, Athens was. Um, I mean, it had big shoes to fill. Yeah. Um, Sydney was an incredibly mm. successful games in every aspect. Mm. Um, Athens was unique. You know, to be there, it was incredible. And the one thing that the IOC do really well is they make sure it works for the athletes mm-hmm. and for the broadcasters. So yeah, it yeah. looks good on looks good on television. Mm. And you know, to the IOC's credit, um, making sure everything is in place. Mm-hmm. For the athletes, so that they can, if nothing else, perform to the best of their sure. perform to the best of their ability. So, 
I was working in, and living in the Olympic Village, so we for um, for that experience, yeah, it was great. Were you uh, still in the role of looking after countries as well? Yeah, although this time, yeah, this time I was with the Pacific Islanders. Okay, now, so okay. I'd, uh, I migrated back to my roots, right, right, right. Uh, and um, working with the all the Oceania countries yeah. um, in Athens. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, um, yeah, yeah, that would have been a few stories as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, again. Greece is an amazing country. Very yeah. proud, obviously, the home yeah, of the yeah. Olympic movement. Yeah. So it was it was a special game and they, special games, and they took a lot of the events to um, areas of you know significance and historical sure. significance. So the sure. archery competition was held in the um, Acropolis. No, at the um, I don't know the name of the stadium, but it was where the first modern Olympics athletics oh, right, track okay. was, oh, was wow, held. That yeah. incredible. So it was stunning, but the Acropolis yeah. was in the in yeah. the background. Yeah. So. I think I saw a photo of that. Yeah, oh, that's it was, great. It was beautiful. Brilliant. So yeah. so two two Olympics and then and then moved on from there. Yeah, so then soon after um, I got a job with World Rugby. Okay. So or IRB at the time, okay. International Rugby Board. So so how did how did that come about? So it was just a, it was a job that was advertised oh, in the okay. paper. It was a newly created job. So um, um, so Australia hosted the Rugby World Cup in 2003. Yeah. Um, and that was the first Rugby World Cup to really make a, a genuine profit. Sure. And sure. so it was, that was the first opportunity that the IRB had to reinvest back into the sport. And the Pacific Islands being um, such an important mm-hmm, region mm-hmm. to mm. rugby, mm. Um, they, they made a str- strategic decision to in, invest in, in rugby in the Pacific Islands. Right. So they advert- it was a newly created position, general mm-hmm. manager of the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. It, was just, it was advertised in the paper and um, combined yeah. two of my loves, rugby sure. and the Pacific Islands. So Absolutely. So, so Tonga, Samoa, Fiji. So the focus was, yeah, exactly, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really the remit was to do three things. Um, build the high-performance infrastructure so sure. that we could um, ensure that those three countries, A, qualified for the World Cup and mm. then were as competitive as they as they could be. Mm. Um, at the time, I think Fiji had a very proud Rugby World Cup history. They'd qualified for the semis, I think, in 97. Fiji? Yeah. Yeah. That will no, no, way back, 87. 87. Dua. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they they made the finals, but no other the, no other Pacific Island had made the you know the, the quarterfinals or the knockouts of the of the tournament. Samoa ninety one, no, they got pushed out by Scotland. Yes, that that's was, right. We had Mr. AP in a few weeks yes. ago giving uh, us that been, story. He would have been playing around then. Yeah. He he, he played. There. Yeah, he was the open side flanker for ninety one. He was the open yeah. side flanker of the tournament. Yeah. Actually, he was picked in the uh, in the uh, World Fifteen that played the All Blacks the following year. Okay, at the ripe old age of twenty two. Wow. Yes. Okay. So Samoa, Tonga. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, so the first thing was setting up the the high performance infrastructure. Yeah. Um, getting more kids playing. Yeah. The game. Um, but I, but but getting more kids when they I, my my thoughts are that everybody plays. Yeah. So they do. Um, I mean, we're probably given socially. It's a you yeah. know socially it's a massive sport, but yeah. not big or not at the time. You know, particularly amongst girls and, right. and women. Sure. And at the time, or soon after, you know, rugby really started its push to mm. um, get more women and girls playing the, the yeah, game. Right. And, and that was, you know, so a lot of work had to be done 
and overcoming the cultural sure. stigmas attached to that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but also just getting it into the you know getting it into the schools. So mm. sport was played, rugby was played very socially. Yeah. Um, and an important sport in the villages. So yeah. I don't know whether you spent much time around the Pacific Islands, but mm. you drive around mm. any mm. any village in any three of those countries on a mm. Saturday morning yeah. and in fact most afternoons and you see a game of one touch that's what being, i was thinking yeah. one touch being played but actually you know in um more formal settings right um it's less you know it's 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 less played yeah because right. of the same challenges that most um countries face particularly developing countries and that is access to facilities and, sure. and the like so um anyway we're very yeah. Bolshe in the ambition of you know ensuring that rugby was entrenched as the, as so the biggest sport in the region. The things I instantly think about is is losing players to particularly Australia and New Zealand. Is that is that a big issue? I mean, you you you, you could put all this effort into driving it up internally, and then suddenly they're all disappearing. Mm. So yeah, or is that a bad thing? Maybe it's not a bad so, thing. Well, so this is so I think this yeah. is a fascinating discussion because yeah. it depends on which lens you yeah you, right. Um, you look at it at the problem through. Mm. So, from a rugby perspective, yeah, it's a major. Mm. Um, you know, they call it the brawn drain because mm. a lot of kids mm. to this day um, leave the Pacific Islands for mm. New Zealand and, yep. and Australia for school. And, and Australia and New Zealand cop a lot of flack for that. Mm. And if you look at it purely from a rugby perspective, you know, it's an easy and a, mm. I think a cheap sort of. Um, and I don't say that as an Australian, but mm. um, criticism to exactly. make. Because you've got the to look at the bigger thing, picture, don't you? Of course. Livelihood. And and this is when so money, when you look money at it going from back a, to the island. Exactly. So when you look at it from a socioeconomic mm. perspective, it's entirely different. And Absolutely. that is that through rugby and mm. through these scholarships, these kids are getting access. And it's like we were talking about with you know Valeria, the, the mm. Peruvian swimmer. Through sport, mm. you're these these kids are getting access to an education that they wouldn't otherwise Absolutely. get access yeah, yeah, right. to. And is it right to begrudge no. someone that sort of opportunity? So, yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's a tough one, really, isn't it? Because because you're right, New Zealand, Australia get looked about a bad way as well. You're just pulling your best you've got out, but would they have had the opportunities anyway? I mean, and then also Northern Hemisphere had Northern Hemisphere kicked in then. So it was stage? just starting. So professional. Right. I mean, obviously rugby was professional, and yeah. the professional leagues were starting to to kick off, and yeah. it was it was. France was the player, yeah, right, um, and the only player. But then, th over yeah. then the course of the next sort of ten years that I was at World Rugby, um, all the all the professional leagues, Scotland, uh, England, obviously, um, and and Wales, as more professional teams yeah. popped up, they became buyers in the market as, sure. as well. And th and that is a rug. Then, but that they, then is a rugby. Are team. they capped as an, a maximum in a team? Uh, no, I don't. No, so that's no cap. It's, I mean, it's up to the governing body. So in right. this case, you know, um, uh, England Rugby yeah. or, or the Welsh Rugby Union or whatever to yeah. put caps on how many foreign players. Right. But um, th there are none. Um, sure. There weren't at the time sure. anyway. Um, and and that was that was yeah. certainly one of our challenges. So we set up part of our work was setting up these academies in in the three islands mm. that. Um, identified the best players, put them in a training in environment that was genuinely world class mm -hmm. with with trainers from all around the world, and that's mm -hmm. what the 
at the time IRB World Rugby Funding allowed the members to do, which was for the first time, you know, be able to attract world class coaches and, mm. and support staff and expose these kids who are naturally talented yeah. to a world class training uh, training environment. Challenge, of course, then is they get so bloody yeah. good that they they, would, yeah. they end up you know up in up in Europe and exactly and that becomes in a sort of you have these philosophical discussions around what is the best what is actually the best high yeah. performance structure that you create because are we are we succeeding mm. in improving the competitiveness of Fiji Samoa and Tonga on mm-hmm. the international stage or are we artificially boosting professional yeah. club rugby in Japan and and Europe and Again, it's it's, it's really no, hard. Yeah, there's it's, no right it's answer. Such is a, it? It's such a nuanced argument mm. with so many factors mm. in play. But the big one, as you as you touched on, Ammo, is it's money back to the yeah. country, you know, and and sport and rugby in particular is mm. a big source of remittances yeah, back right. to the Pacific Islands. Um, what about what about the rugby league, uh, as in? Drain to rugby league because that seems to have increased more. So is that coming from the islands or is it mainly coming from? No, that's that's happening more in, in Australia, more in Australia and, okay, okay. And, and to a lesser extent New right. Zealand. Right. Um, it happens. Yeah. It's nowhere near the sort of um, the challenge that sure. professional rugby. Professional it's just rugby purely because of the size of it. Yeah, I mean, right. there's what sixteen professional mm. NRL teams and God knows yeah. how many professional. Rugby I mean, I think that the big thing. That I hear from New Zealanders is, and I think there's a, there's an Islands team in the Super competition next year. They've just announced it, yeah. yeah. Moana Pacifico in, and um, and the Fiji team, the Fiji and Drua. Yeah, okay, enjoying, okay. Enjoying that should that's fantastic. That should make a difference. Yeah, and absolutely because yeah. I mean, um, they the the pl- given the choice, the mm. players would always choose to. To be, play at home. to be at and, home, yeah. Yeah, and we yeah. You know, we did a lot of work with the Pacific Island Players Association, mm. which was set up about 10, 15 years ago mm. now, um, because you know, living away from, for anyone living away mm. from home is is tough, but, you know, there are the instances of, you know, Pacific Islanders struggling up in Europe and getting yeah. homesick is is real. And, and, and not being managed properly, which, which Apollo talked about. Actually. Yeah, and that's and and that's yeah. a huge and that's yeah, a huge exactly. challenge. You know, when you because you lose control once you become yeah. once they become an employee of a of a club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in many respects, that the national yeah. federation, Fiji Rugby Union, lose control of mm. of that um, the performance of that player mm. or the, the preparation of that player, which is then another challenge because when they do come back for international duty, mm. they're knocked up. I mean, the French play what's yeah, a forty two yeah, no. week. Season no. or something, and a forty-two game season, yeah. and, and they're banged up by the time they come back, yeah, and they're, they're not used really looked after. So, and, and Apollo knows that better than anyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, um, I forget where we're going there, but we would. I mean, in in terms of the the challenge of, yeah. uh, oh yeah, the, the the Pacific Island teams. So mm. that's huge. I mean, that is but a genuine. W- were game Were you changer. able to get involved with the clubs to release them to go back? To play for their teams. So all of that, that so yeah, so I mean, that's, well. it's governed by it, it mm. is governed by the World Rugby regulations, mm. um, and again, to their credit, World Rugby are, are excellent mm. um, within the confines of the regulations in, in enforcing them. And there are big mm. fines for for clubs and members who don't 
um, enforce their mm. clubs to to release the the players. There's but fines. there's okay. always oh yeah, and heavy fines. Yeah, right. But there's always ways around, around it. it. And yeah. you know, you um, if you are a, a club in Europe. Yeah, and you are required to release a player to go back to Fiji, and you don't want him to go mm. back. It's very easy to coerce sure. that player to yeah. um, okay. by, by dangling or threatening his his contract in front of them. So it's a it's a really yeah you know but so by um you know threatening their future livelihood, their future contract, sure. um you know is a very strong in, incentive. Okay. You know, so there's there's ways around yeah it. and. Again, it's a it's a challenge well, it's, yeah. for world rugby for the governing bodies mm. to, to overcome. It's not easy. And so you were concentrating on the fifteens and the sevens. Yeah. Tandem. Yep. So um, there there'd be three programs. Right. There'd be well, yeah. So if you make it gender neutral, fifteens, yep. men's and women's fifteens, men's and women's sevens, yep. and then under nineteens. So there'd okay, be sort okay, of three right. cohorts within the within the high sure. performance system within each of those. Countries and yeah. then I forget the year, but um, then when rugby got included on the program for the Rio game, so that yeah. was twenty sixteen. I think the decision was around twenty twelve. Again, that became yeah, a change because Fiji world champions, yeah. Samara had been world champions. Mm. Genuine, all of a sudden, the Pacific Islands were genuine yeah, right. little prospects, which is you know two gold medals to the Fijians. So, yeah, um, exactly, and a bronze yeah. to the Fijiana in correct, uh, in Rio, correct, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, another national holiday. <laughs> yeah, and a seven dollar note, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. No, uh, so so I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a. So how how long were you in that role for? Well, ten years. Yeah. So I started wow. out just with the Pacific Islands, yeah. and then um, after Rugby World Cup twenty fifteen, that got mm. um, expanded to Asia, Oceania, mm. and, and Asia. Japan awarded the twenty nineteen World Cup. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So that was yeah, nine, ten years. We we were um. Within the role, were you able to see other international teams, you know, New Zealand, Australia, etc., how they developed in that time? I mean, we yeah. talked a little bit a couple of days ago about the All Blacks, and I'm not going to be an All Black show, like being being a Kiwi, but you mentioned there were some things that they really brought to the game. Yeah, so, I mean, so as part of the role, I was um, yeah. match commissioner at Rugby World Cup 2015, uh, sorry, 2011 in New Zealand, 2015 in in England, UK, right. England, and Wales. And what does that? What does uh, that so match commissioner is yeah. the um, world rugby representative at the at the game. Oh, so wow. in effect, right, um, that position is responsible for delivering the the game. And you have two teams that work under you. You have basically the match management team, which is all about the the game of rugby, what yeah. goes on between the white lines, and venue management team, which is the um, Everything else related to the facility, from the wow. lighting, spectators, and the oh, and the goodness. like. But it was, in in effect, it was a role that was a um, issue elevation role. So yeah. um, both those teams were staffed by very mm. smart, very well credentialed, very well trained mm. individuals and and teams within them. Um, if issues were to unfold, like the fire in Whangarei, I don't know whether you remember that, but that, I think that was before the Tonga Japan game. There was a fire just outside of the stadium in really? Whangarei. Yeah. Well, you did well because you kept that under wraps. I never heard of that. <laughs> Maybe we did well. So yeah. Um, when situations and issues like that arise, that's when you step in. The the, the call ultimately comes down to a match commissioner as yeah. to whether the game goes ahead or what okay. um, what action you might take to to address the situation. Right, right. So on most days, you 
don't have to do yeah, yeah. much, but you know, in in bad situations, you, you're required to make a, a call. But the great thing about that role is that, again, you're the point of contact for the you know for the teams, and um, and you get to see how the teams operate. So sure. it was a it was a fantastic role because right. you, we, I did some All Black games, Argentine Argentinian games. Right down through, well, I shouldn't say down, but then to the Namibias so, yeah. and Romanias, and you would see how the different um, how the different teams operate. Were they to, were they that level, Romania and Namibia? I mean, how would you compare them? How would you compare them to, to where we're from? Would you say like club, uh, provincial, uh, in in the way they were preparing and, and what they uh, setups they had? No, so. Unbelievable athletes, yeah. and so because you know because World Rugby invests so heavily in mm. the high performance systems of those teams, all of these teams were coached by world class coaches and had sure. world class support staff. And um, they and under. and you were supporting them with financially, so they yeah could get exactly. Everything so in the in the lead up to the tournament, the World Rugby you know the World Rugby investment is all about um, yeah. you know athlete preparation and, and the sure. systems and structures. But um, we had a high performance mm. manager, and, he, and he's still there who worked with the teams on their World Cup campaigns. And so, okay. you know, a lot of thought and preparation goes into it. So by the time the teams mm. get there, they're coached by world-class um, coaches. Many of them, are, most of them are playing in um, professional leagues around the world. The Roma- most yeah, right. of the Romanians play in, yeah. um, in Europe. Georgian forwards are revered all around the world. Scrum fest. Yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. much sought after. So... Um, I, where, where they struggle, I think, is is the match management. I mean, where Australia and New Zealand and, and South Africa mm. have such an advantage is they play so often together. Right. Okay. And I think what you see at a World Cup when you know Tonga beat France as they mm. as they did in twenty eleven. Mm. Um, I went to that game. Oh, you went that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. What a game of footy that yeah, was. Yeah, they sort of France just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, the, there's yeah. that, and there's that footage at the end of the the last scrum, and the the Tongan props were just laughing at. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that footage. Yeah. Um. And I and and so what what you learn, I think, at yeah. Rugby World Cups is when these teams are able to have a proper preparation, mm. they can beat they anyone, can and they right. can compete, and they can beat anyone in the world. Yeah. Fiji have made the quarterfinals yep. twice. Um, Japan have made, yeah. you know, um, well, they made the quarterfinals at the last yeah. tournament and knocked off South Africa. And, and Argentina, have, they always rise to the game yeah. during World Cups. So sure. the challenge is not so much yeah. that, that um, the, the athletes aren't yeah, as yeah, good right. or they're as organised. It's just game time. Yeah, yeah, right. And we all know about the mm. 10,000 hours. And yeah. I think in a team sport and in a contact team sport, Sure. Where the scrum is so important, yeah, you can't, um, you can't replicate that. No. Time of just spending yeah, yeah, right. scrum after scrum after scrum together, yeah. and I think that's the difference. Okay. Um, I mean, from what I saw of the athletes, then there is, there is, well prepared as, regardless of the country that they're they're from, and that's a credit to the the investment that World Rugby so, makes. So, make. um, without going too much. You're, Got a whole new other chapter to go in from '87. I mean, from what you've read about and stuff, because I'm, I mean, to where we are now. How what World Rugby was IRB? What level were they involved in the original World Cup? 
the story I understand is actually yeah. it was World Cup in 87, the first yeah, World the Cup. was one, a proposal yeah. by New Zealand and, uh, and Australia. Okay, all right. Because um, that was joint. Yeah, that was, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, don't know, I don't know whether that was held under the auspices of IRB at the, no. at the time or whether um, – so at what point IRB took ownership of the, sure, of sure, the tourna- sure, sure, tournament. Sure. Um, but if it wasn't 87, it was definitely 1991. And England, England. so I think yeah. World world Rugby, IRB before them, have right. sort of run that yeah. tournament from the from the start. But, um, I mean, ha- how it's evolved in just such a short yeah. time. That's oh, incredible. Uh, and, I mean, amazing. we've obviously got France next year. Yeah. Which would be fantastic. Yeah, great host. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so to go back to the, you. you Earlier question, you know, what do you what do you observe? And yeah. um, you know, we were talking the other night about the you know the aura around the All Blacks team, and there's mm. books that have been written mm. about, and it is a it is a team that is um, places an enormous emphasis on its on it, on its culture, mm-hmm. uh, on a winning culture, and I mean, it is quite remarkable that a that a sporting team from a country of what are you now five million six two four and a half five yeah. Um, can maintain that yeah. level of supremacy for such an extended mm. period of, of time, and I, I think cultures are yeah. um, a lot to do with it. And a, a story for me that I think captures that mm. best is um, uh, was from 20, uh, 2015 World Cup, so in, in England, and so I was match commissioner at Wembley Stadium, uh, and my first game there was New Zealand Argentina. Mm-hmm. Which I think to this day remains a mm. world record for the biggest ever rugby world cup crowd. It was at Wembley Wembley Stadium. What are they? 80, so 90? The largest, 89. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. 89, yeah. 89,000. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so one of the um, aspects of the All Blacks is this concept around cleaning the sheds, this belief that um, no one should have to, um, that the All Blacks are. Mature enough, um, self-sufficient enough to look after themselves, and no one should have to clean up after after the All Blacks. Um, so one of the jobs, of course, at the end of the day, is you go around and, and you do a, a, a venue inspection and just make sure everything is is as it is. Yeah. And I saw this New Zealand change shed, and and you've played rugby, I've played rugby, and at all levels of the game, the worst place in the world to be after a game is a change room because it's just full of Tape, tape, <laughs> and Vaseline. Vaseline, and I was going to say liniment, and yeah. it just it and sticks di- to high heaven. And a dirty towel in the corner, and at least yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And kit and jock straps yeah, and yeah, speedos, yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. just an awful place. Yeah. Anyway, I this all black change room was spotless. In fact, it was cleaner than when we handed it over to them. I couldn't yeah. believe it. In fact, I, my initial thought was that I'd walked into the wrong yeah. into the wrong room. I mean, it was spotless and. And I'd read this book and read these stories about the you know this particular yeah. concept of, of clean the clean yeah. the sheds, um, and and they rotated amongst each other. So it's I've not just the yeah. dirt trackers that do it. It's it, it could gets, be it could be the Richie McCaw and, yeah. and doing it. It's whoever's turn it is. They yeah. they do it. This thing was spotless. It had been mopped. Everything had um, yeah. been cleaned up. A week later, we had uh, Ireland Romania yeah. uh, at at the game uh, at the, at the same venue. And I walked into the and before the tournament, Ireland were one of the considered to be one yeah. of the favourites of it. Um, they brought some form into the tournament, yeah. And 
they were a good they were a good team. And I walked into the Irish change room after that game, and <laughs> it was a pigsty. There was banana skins everywhere, yeah. and there were showers running. There was two showers running, and I was thinking to myself, who who walks out of a change room yeah. and actually leaves a shower yeah, yeah. running? Yeah, exactly. And expects someone else to turn that off from them. And I just, for me, nothing. Um, Exemplified those two very different cultures, yeah, I, right. and, and you just you know then I I knew then that Ireland just weren't going to be right couldn't possibly compete with a team like the All Blacks just because of that commitment to every aspect of their preparation sure. was just so nothing strong. forgotten. So I found that really wow that's really that's interesting. interesting. I find yeah. that I find that very interesting indeed. So jumping ahead, we're now we've now rugby rugby rugby. Yep. We've changed sports. We have. We've gone to gone to cricket. I was living every Aussie kid's dream. So I was just thinking that it is a bit like that. Probably like his own Zealand. annual stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. it. Yeah. Footy in footy in winter. Yeah, cricket in in summer. Was never any good at either of the sports, but um, played them. Yeah, all the time. Loved them. So the ICC advertised for a position of um, uh, head of global development, running the development program. Yep. Uh, applied for it and and got it. Um, 2014. So this was 2016. I've been here five. Okay. So yeah, I worked right. for another couple right. of years after um, after Rugby World Cup 2015. Sure. Um, so this was 2016. Moved yeah. to Dubai, and it was funny because my wife, who's a sports scientist by trade, she right. worked um, and we met at the AIS in, in Canberra, yeah. and she was business manager of the sports science, sports medicine department. And after after Sydney, as is often the the case, but Australia had a very successful games. A lot yeah. of it attributed to the AIS. Yep. Um, a lot of the um, people from the sports science, sports medicine department were approached by Qatar mm-hmm. um, over over here or this this region to um, they because they were now starting to set up and invest in in their high performance yeah. setup. So and they had and they had the games. They had a games coming up, didn't they? Uh, Doha had a games. Not sure. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure what the rationale was right. for the or the impetus for the investment, yeah. but they had um, made a decision to invest in a, an elite athlete mm. um, academy, and they started approaching a lot of the sports science staff from from Australia. And my mm. wife was was one of them, and I remember having the conversation, and she said, "Look, we've got an opportunity here to, to move to, to Qatar," and I said, "I could not think of anything worse than living in the desert, so let's not <laughs> even let's not even entertain that." And yeah, yeah. Ten years later, I uh, knock on the door and Here say, oh, sweetheart, about that conversation we had a, a while ago. Anyway, um, um, the opportunity came up and we were ready. I mean, we, yeah. we've been in Canberra for a, for a long time. Yeah. We still had a relatively young family and we felt yeah. um, if ever there was an opportunity to, yeah. to live overseas, which yeah. we'd always wanted to do, then, then this was it. Yeah. So Dubai we, Dubai, we came. Perfect place. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the role, head of, head of global development for the ICC. So ICC, very similar to all international federations, world rugby mm. and the IAC, you make your money at, the model is you make your money at the World Cup. Okay. Um, a large chunk of that money. Which gets, one? Um, every every World three. Cup. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we, so yeah. ICC, the T20 mm. men's and women's, 50 mm. over men's and women's um, World Cup are, are all profitable mm. for, for mm. the ICC. And um, that money then gets reinvested back into the, into the game. Mm. A bulk of it goes to what we call our full members in the ICC. That's a test playing countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
uh, a portion of that then goes to what we call our associate members, which is 94 other countries around the world. Right. Um, and our department is responsible for managing that investment. So, again, very similar to World Rugby. Yeah. We invest in those members to improve the competitiveness of, of international cricket, um, get more boys and girls yep. playing the game and, and build the, the administrative capability of the, of the members. Oh, wow. That's what brought me to Dubai. Brilliant. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a whole other kettle of fish, but, I mean... Initially, that hits me. I mean, we all know the countries that are the cricket cricket playing countries. Now, what countries are coming up that you would look say in a few years could be a, could be a force to look at? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. So um, the, the we'll say the the associate members that are competing at this upcoming World Cup, mm. the Men's T Twenty World Cup, are um, Oman, who mm. have come from nowhere, mm. um, amazing trajectory, particularly in in. in um, in international cricket, but also yeah. the domestic programs are strong. Scotland, Netherlands, mm. um, Papua New Guinea, and, and Namibia in in Africa. Um, so, oh, so Papua New Guinea and Namibia are, are both playing in the and co- the yeah. competition. Yeah. Right. good. Um, and and it's great. So we invest like World Rugby. Those countries that are likely to compete mm. at a World Cup mm. um, or, or do qualify, we invest heavily in their yeah. high performance uh, systems and and structures so that. When they compete at tournaments like this, hopefully, if we've done our job or if they've mm. done their job, um, are, are competitive. Yeah. Um, but you know, we also have to look at you know where are the where are the next countries coming mm. from? Who are going to be the next big performers? And and then we're looking at countries like uh, USA, yeah, uh, Germany, which is a fascinating story. Yeah. So cricket in Germany has um, taken off really in the last three or four years, and it's driven by. Um, the, yeah, the 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 um, refugee migration. Oh, uh, so of course. Mainly Afghans, right? Um, Pakistan players yeah. as well have, have moved over there, and they've brought cricket with them. Brilliant. And, and the growth of cricket internationally owes a lot to to that. Um, yeah, to yeah. No, and, and not just um, well, I guess to migrants, particularly from the subcontinent, but yeah. increasingly from hmm. um, you know Af- Afghanistan no, and, and Bangladesh. And like I mean. You mentioned USA. It's it's. Do you think it'll ever ever? I mean, it's a bit, little bit like the football analogy. Mm. You know, potentially, they should be one of the best in the world. Mm. They're not quite there. Mm. Is cricket could could it could it happen? I think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in the in the next few years. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on in the USA. They've just this year launched their minor league cricket, which is okay. a prelude to major league cricket. There's some serious backers yeah, right. who've bought into the franchises in major league okay. major league cricket in, in right. the USA. Because um, there was those tournaments, weren't there, last year or a year before? Shane Warne. That's right, and, yeah. and Sachin Tendulkar, yeah. That's right. I mean, they're, they're sort of exhibition yeah, games. Yeah, that's right. Um, don't do a lot to entrench cricket in yeah. uh, in the community but are great for raising awareness particularly yeah, sure. when you talk about two icons like like Sachin and, exactly. and Shane Moore. Exactly. Um, but there uh, again because of primarily the the mm. South Asian um, uh, expats living in the USA but also sure, the Caribbean sure, sure. particularly on the east coast. Yeah, right. Um, you know cricket is very popular in the in the USA yeah. but the, the they are fans of Indian cricket and West Indian cricket, not sure. necessarily USA cricket. So part of our job is how do we make mainstream yeah. USA fall in love with cricket? And, and if you can crack that nut, yeah, then and you're fighting the big five, aren't you? I mean, the baseball, of course, you I are. I mean, 
the, the, the big sports, it's always going to be the big issue, isn't it? Well, not and not only fighting sports, you're, you're fighting um, social trends as yeah, well. Right. Now, even the big, I mean, for the first time mm. ever last year, all five of those big five that you mentioned yeah. experienced a decline in, in participation. Esports, esports. Yeah, yeah. it's mm. all, um, yeah. It, it's becoming a crowded marketplace no, exactly. for, for time. No, so. I know. Not only are you not yeah. only are you up against. In fact, you'd almost argue as a as an industry, you've yeah. got to work together yeah. to overcome the bigger challenge, which is societal influences yeah, exactly. and just the changing dynamic of how we exactly. all how we and all live our lives. It, I mean, we've gone from a time well, but, where yeah, but I mean, you've you've addressed that with the ICC. With I mean, look how big T Twenty is now, where mm. it's come from in the last few years. Test cricket, people were in my mind, it's come back. Mm. But then it was sort of dying a little bit in one day, isn't it, T20? So you've sort of, in my mind, you've taken that on. Yeah, I think. Did you bring that up just to mention New Zealand winning the World Test Championship? Did we? Oh, that's right. We should, And we should have won the one-day one. But <laughs> I don't know. Did you bring the rule book? Because no one brought it that day. Boom. Um, I was expecting that, yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, but the yeah. World Test Championship, I yeah. think, has been great to add context to Test oh, Cricket. Because I think for... for Cricket purists like yeah. you and I who love the game and grow yeah. up with it, we love test test cricket. Yeah, it's a harder version of the game to yeah. sell to someone who's 100%. not familiar with the with the sport. I, I I actually I find it and and coming here working with a lot of Europeans particularly and Americans, they just can't understand it. They they see it as this complicated thing, and obviously we've been brought up with it, but that's what you're fighting with. Do you know it's 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 very interesting actually because yeah. um, it got explained to me just just recently. Um, about you know, there are so many quirks with cricket, as there are with with any sport. But yeah. one thing that the Americans just can't get their head around is the concept of you know who's winning. And you think about it in just about yeah, any yeah. other sport at yeah. any point in time, you know who's winning because if yeah. you look at the scoreboard, yeah, yeah. Um, you can see that Team A is, is yeah, scored yeah. more points than than Team B. But in cricket and in a in a Test match, yeah. a team could be three for for four hundred. But still deemed to be actually yeah in the you know not in the not in the best position no exactly um, no but it's a very hard concept for yeah. someone to, to grasp but, but I you also, actually have to ask who's winning I also like to screw with their heads and say things like we watched a five day game and it was a complete draw, draw and yeah. it was just the best game I've ever <laughs> yeah. in my life so so yeah but um, moving on we've obviously got the UAE Oman T Twenty mm-hmm. coming up October mm-hmm. November this year a lot of people are interested hearing that you're coming on. Can we watch these games? Are crowds going to be allowed to watch? So not confirmed yet, okay. but we're planning on it. Uh, we're expecting it. Okay. Um, and, yes, yeah, so we expect that mm. tickets will be available, that Good. we'll be allowed crowds in the in the venue. We haven't had that confirmation yet. That's work that's ongoing, obviously, with sure. the authorities. Sure. But we're planning for it, so sure. I, I, we're, we're so, very confident. So we're Sharjah, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, yep. and Muscat. And Muscat, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And how many teams? 16 teams. Wow. Over yeah. over a whole month. Oh, it's yeah. going to be fantastic. It's going to be fantastic, yeah. yeah it's yeah. going to be some great cricket. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. So um, a lot for you, but you've obviously you've been here now six years. Yeah, uh, five years coming five up. Five years, years coming years, yeah. up here. I'm, I think I hold the record for the youngest or the least experienced Dubai resident on your podcast. I'm sure <laughs> I do. Very interesting. Yeah, I haven't. Because listening to them, there's some <laughs> there's some There's some firmly yeah, there's some experience. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think John yes. Dakin was about... 55 years, so, wow. so uh, I'm sure you'll update me after this. Yeah. But something we always do ask, and I mean, you particularly for you, you've travelled to a lot of places, you've seen it, you've got your family here. What, what makes this place 
a place you like being in? Uh, wow, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I think I so I've spent a lot of my time born and bred in Sydney, but a lot of my time in Canberra. Um, what I love about Dubai, I think, is it, it is genuinely a city that never sleeps. Mm-hmm. So one of my favourite things to do uh, on a Saturday night is I go up to my local barbers. I, so actually, I, it's an easy question. The barbers yeah. is the best thing about Dubai. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do. So my yeah. favourite part of the week yeah. is uh, is to go up every every Saturday to my local guys um, in our cos. Yeah. Shout out to we're here and the boys. And you know, get the beard trimmed beard. and uh, yep. and the haircut and the like, and um, get a cup of tea, get a cup of chai. Yeah, it's um, and that's just a great experience. And mm. um, yeah, that's it's uh, you bring up a good point. It just never sleeps. And you know, when you think about where we're from, particularly when we were growing up, it used to shut down, didn't it? Oh, this is the thing. And yeah. so, and and the reason. The reason I mentioned the, the barbers is because you, you, you finish at about sort of nine o'clock at yeah. night and you drive home and I'm driving through our cause and it's heaving there yeah, and no, people, no, there's no, no. queues lining up for their for yeah, the chai yeah. and for the yeah. and for dinner and I'm thinking yeah. this is the equivalent of a Sunday night yeah. back home and, mm. well, nothing ever opens on a, on a Sunday and if it does, it's closed at, at yeah. five o'clock and, I just, and, it's, it, and it's just so diverse. It's a yeah. cliche, but... You know, I know it is. Um, it is. You know, the... You know, you drive particularly around our cause. You know, the workers yeah. working on everything from the you know the car parts places and the restaurants. It's just uh, it's got a great vibe about it. Certainly I, has, I it. and obviously we've got the expo coming up, which I think is just going to add to it even yeah. further. I think it's going to be a very exciting few months. Yeah, yeah, well, particularly after a tough couple of years, I think it's going to be yeah, great for the city. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, well, no, thanks for coming on today. I mean, you've had an amazing, amazing career up to this point, so we're obviously looking forward to the next chapter, whatever, mm. whatever that may be. And uh, yeah, please uh, keep us keep us updated on what you're doing. Lovely, thanks, Samo. Thanks for having me. It's been a great chat. Good. Oh, what a great chat with Will. I certainly uh, enjoyed a little bit about cricket, rugby, Olympics. It was like like my old days, my old athletics days. Anyway, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Will, for coming on. And uh, if you want to hear more stories, Dubai stories, like, subscribe, put some comments on. Love to hear from you.